0: Have you ever tried to fix your running form, but you don't even know what you're trying to do? I mean, with all the information out there from like chi running to pose method to barefoot running clinics to, I mean, there's so many at this point. It is tough to know what good running form even means. And a lot of them, just like with diet, are completely contradictory to one another. It is true that Everybody probably has their own personal ideal running form. You're not going to run the same as your favorite runner or your friend or your mom. You're going to look somewhat individual when you run. But that does not mean that there aren't universals when it comes to running form. And that's what this episode is all about. We're going to talk about running form, what to look for, how you might struggle, and some changes you can make so that you can get injured less and have more fun out there. Because bad running form can lead to injuries, and we're just trying to keep you safe. So if you're interested in that, listen, and looking forward to have you. Thanks. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Frantz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. We are live, and I would like to make sure I announce before I forget uh, the thing I'm doing with Jeff and Jeremy from the Ultra Running Guys. They're calling it the Let's Eat Giveaway. We have teamed up with The Feed to run a, uh, you could call it a contest, you could call it a giveaway. You don't really have to do anything big for it. Um, You have to follow three steps. So if you are interested in winning up to $100 from The Feed to spend on any nutrition products you might want, as well as getting a free race day nutrition consult from me, and then first prize gets a free ultra running guys trucker hat, you should enter. Uh, I will include the link in the comments and the show notes. It is willfrance.com nutrition dash giveaway. Um, in case you just want to go there now, but you only have to do a couple things like follow us on Instagram and download a guide I just released involving a ton of information about fueling. So if you're interested in winning a bunch of prizes and don't really want to have to do anything for them, You should go there and enter our giveaway. Or you're gonna hear me talking about it for a while. So hope, hope you join, hope you join us. It's been fun so far. We have a lot of entries, and you still have a really good chance to win though. So, all right. That out of the way, we're gonna talk about running form today, which I'm gonna wing a little bit, partially because it's just not my like area of complete expertise. Part of that I think comes from, I'm not sure it's most people's area of complete expertise. I've looked into this a lot. I've tried to figure out what good running form is, what bad running form is, and it just seems to be all over the place. (laughs) I can't quite figure out completely why. Um, It'll be anything from chi running to the pose method to, like, they have barefoot running clinics. There's a guy that I really respect on Instagram named Matt Minard, and he's a PT, and he runs run. And if you want some, like, quick snippets, I recommend checking him out. But the short version is I'll often hear complete other ends of the spectrum. Like, there is no wrong running form. Everybody's running forms can be a little different. And while that second part is true, that doesn't mean there's no wrong running form. Like, that's that's like saying there's no wrong diet. You could absolutely run terribly. And that doesn't mean it's... It doesn't mean you're a bad person, and it doesn't mean everybody has to run exactly the same, but <laughs> I made this inference on TikTok the other day. If you've ever seen, if you remember Phoebe from Friends, which, like, just sticks in my head, even though I wasn't a big Friends fan, if you run like, chaotically like this, or if we look at, like, Captain Jack Sparrow, the meme that's been going around of him running, it's not how you should run. It's, like, more likely to get you injured. It's not efficient. It's probably not going to give you your best time. All of these things make that a bad running form. And just like, you know, different people thrive on different diets, rocks isn't a good option. So we should figure out what what serves well and if there's any basic rules that could help us run a little better and mitigate our risk for injury. Because with a sport like Ultra that has such a high injury rate, 50 60 70%. Some people say 100. Like if we're having if we're having that high of an injury rate, if we can improve our form in some way that helps pull that down, that would be ideal. So, let's cut touch a couple points that are super helpful. One of them is hinge. We need to lean forward. Running is basically controlled falling. And if we're leaning forward, I think a lot of people hear that We think lean forward at the hips, right? Like we're not trying to create this lean at the hips. It is not at the waist. We're trying to lean at the ankles. So you're looking to hinge forward at the ankle. Matt Minner calls this a hankle because it sits where it like sticks in your brain really well. But a lot of people talk about this. You'll often hear that it is a controlled fall, but the specificity is missing. And we need to be falling forward from the ankles our glutes need to be engaged, we need to have this nice stable torso, your midsection should be strong enough to keep you connected from your knees up to your rib cage. We're not trying to create this like, if you're watching my video, like this this forward rolling hinged posture, posture like this. If we look at it from the side, our shin and our torso should be basically at the same angle, which indicates that... We are leaning forward at the ankle and not at the hips, right? So that is one thing. Hinge at the ankle, fall forward from the ankle. And then once we're doing that, a lot of things are going to start to fall into place. One of the things that won't automatically fall into place is we should be quiet. You're not trying to have this big pounding gait that you could hear from, I'm sure I just scared my roommate downstairs, that you could hear from across the like entire trail or that you could hear from the other side of the road. If you're a road runner, I hear people like running the treadmill and some of them are like very smooth, like almost pattery, like yours like a bunny. And then there's other people like pounding, like you hear, um, I don't know, no animals that loud. I was gonna say an elephant, but they're actually surprisingly quiet. So we hear this pounding. On the treadmill and you don't want that. We want to be very quiet. When you are running well, your body weight is going through like your ligaments and tendons and bones at somewhere like, I don't know, seven to ten times I think I've heard. Um, the like seven to ten times your body weight is going through all those things in your lower leg. And if we can, if we're trying to land even heavier, we're maximizing that even further. So we need to take care to not do that. If you put that much um, weight through your Achilles like a thousand times, like you would when you're running a fairly short distance, it adds up. And if we put that, like, more than that weight, it adds up even faster. So we're looking to add quiet, or land quietly. This does not mean you can't heel strike, it does not mean you need to land forefoot, it doesn't mean you should, like, run on your toes. Get to all of that in a minute, but Quiet is really the goal here. And especially if we're looking at trail running, this is a big factor for downhill. So I can often tell if I'm out on the trails whether somebody is going to do fairly well or if their quads are going to get hammered by the end by how much I can hear them coming down the trails. If you're flowing and like basically just trying to like keep it just in check for gravity and you're not thudding and like trying to break and cause a bunch of like friction for yourself, you're gonna do pretty well. Your quads aren't gonna get hammered. You're not putting a ton of that extra stress through your tendons and ligaments. It's a good day. But if I hear people basically sound like they're a series of controlled broad jumps down the mountain, you're putting way too much stress on your system and it's gonna cause problems. Which brings me to one of the big things, don't overstride. And this is, a, this is where we have run into a lot of the, like, don't heel strike issues. Basically, pretty much all overstrike or overstriding is going to be heel striking. It's really hard to midfoot strike when you overstride, but not all heel striking is overstriding. And what we're looking for here when we're talking about overstriding is not does your foot first make contact in front of your body? It is where do you load your foot? Where do you load all of your weight? And when we're looking like you might land on your heel but then, when your center of mass comes over your foot and you put all of the weight into it, you are landing flat. And that is where like heel striking is fine. Almost everybody's gonna heel strike, especially on the downhill. But it is going to be a big thing when we're looking at um, where you're actually loading, whether it's overstriding. So we need to make sure that you're landing underneath your center of mass. You're not trying to pull with your hamstrings. You're trying to drive with your glutes, and this is one of my favorite things. Matt Minard says is push with the tush because it just sits so well. You are trying to drive backward with your glute max, and this has been a big struggle for me. Um, I have, I do not have a proportionally strong glute max for how strong a lot of the rest of my body is because that is not the sport I played. I played a lot of like side to side motion sports. So it's a little comparatively weak. As a result, I have been having to reteach myself how to drive backwards with my glute max. And some of that is gonna be a strength issue. Some of that is gonna be a connection issue. And then some of that is actually going to be a mobility issue. If you have garbage ankle mobility, as in like if we're looking at your foot your knee but knee. Your knee should be able to come past your toes by like three to four inches probably. Um, if we can't get your knee past your toes more than an inch or if you can't get past it at all, there's no way you can push backwards. It's not possible with like a mildly flat or like flexed foot. You're going to be constantly on your toes. You're going to be causing issues. There's going to be this like huge firmness and a ton of stress in your tendons. We need to have enough ankle flexion we can effectively drive backwards. Same thing with hip flexion. A lot of you have heard me talk about the couch stretch, where I think with that stretch that you might have experienced in like high school sports, where you grab your your foot and you hold it behind you at your butt, like my knee is bent right now, I'm just like stretching my quad. We should be able to drive our quad and our, our leg behind us without greatly compromising our torso. So if we're here and we throw a ton of bend into our back in order to get our leg back, two things are going to happen. We're going to hurt our back or we're going to like push off with our calf and our feet. We need to be able to actually extend the hip so we can get that full drive from our leg pushing behind us. Uh, One sec, Karen asked a question. How does one increase their cadence without compensating their running form? That is a very good question. Some of that is going to be finding a cadence that's right for you and practicing. And we can get to cadence here. Let's just get to cadence now. So overstriding, one of the ways you'll often hear that fixed is through adjusting or like quickening specifically your cadence most of the time. Because most of us run too slow. And For me, um, I'll get to what I use in a second. Esther uses a metronome. It can help. What cadence are we looking for? The vast average is somewhere between 170 and 190. And you will hear about people well outside that. Some people run faster. Jim Walmsley famously has a cadence of like 155 or something. He also runs like a gazelle. So like, you might not fall in there, but there's, it's a very high chance that you're going to run in this like 170 to 190 range. And if we can increase our cadence while maintaining the same backwards drive, you will immediately go faster with no extra effort because you're going to basically float over the ground rather than um, trying to have to drive yourself and bound forward. Right? So how do you increase your cadence? is super helpful. Somebody recommended to me the Spotify playlist, uh, Run and Bass. I like drum and bass music, so that 170 to 175 beat rhythm really works well for me. And you need to find a thing that works for you. But I highly recommend maybe a running playlist that fits the BPM that you're trying to target and see if that helps you. Really shouldn't cause any issue in your running form. If anything, it should immediately make it better. If we are starting to, like, stagger step, like we're trying to come to a stop, then you're either going too fast or there's, like, a strength imbalance or something's going on there. And if you have more specifics, you're welcome to ask it, Karen, and I'm happy to follow up on that. If we look at, like, ankle flexion pushing backwards, if we need to improve these things, one of my favorite things to improve ankle flexion is what's called an elevated combat stretch. And basically you put your foot up on like a table or edge of a couch or an arm of a chair, and just the ball of the foot is there. And then you push your knee far over your toes, stretch your Achilles, then pull your toes up to your shin to activate your and, uh, tibialis anterior, And I'll put a link in the show notes as well for that. And if we also look at um, hip flexion, I, or hip extension rather, hip flexion would be pulling your knee towards your face. Hip extension, I really like Kelly Starrett's Cal Stretch. It's a classic. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, it is. In You can uh, use it for a very long time because there's a lot of progressions and regressions that can help you loosen that quad and really engage through that glute to make you stronger. But those would be two pretty good examples of things we could use. If your hips are your problem, we can get into froggers, or like adductor rocks, or whatever. I would need to see how you move, but those would be a good couple examples of how, like, a little bit of time every day can be, like, very beneficial to your running. And when we're looking at stretching, it doesn't need to be that long. They've shown that a set of, like, 30 seconds does very well, and if you do, like, a minute a day, for five days a week, you will start to get a lot more flexible. And it's, so you could either do a minute, five days a week, you could do 30 seconds with like a 30 second break, another 30 seconds, five days a week. If we just get five minutes a week, you'll start to see improvement in muscle. And you don't need to necessarily stand around for that break either. You could mobilize in a different area. So say your shoulders were really tight, and your quads. Then you could do a couch stretch for 30 seconds, and then you could do what's called a sink stretch, like this, like pulling your shoulder, like pulling your arm behind you to open your shoulder, and then back and forth. And that's the same time span, and you've mobilized two body parts and like two minutes a day. So, great, super helpful. If we look at other things that cause problems here, Like, and this is why I do an assessment with everybody. I put people through strength moves to see how their body moves. Because if you can't, uh, if I have you do a one-legged squat and as soon as you pick up your foot, your hips rock downwards, then there's no way you're keeping them static when you're running. If you can't keep your hips stable when you're standing, there's no way you're keeping your hips static when you're running. And this is where we'll see a lot of things like glute meat imbalances or hamstring deficiencies or pick a thing, right? Like everybody's different, which is why giving general complete recommendations is crazy. But we need to have a fairly balanced uh, strength chain in order to push through there. Some things I've heard from multiple people would be like your foot should move in a circle. Kind of true, but... Not really, and we shouldn't try to do that. You're not trying to pull your heel up to your butt. This is not Running is not a series of butt kickers. What it is, is like you push back, and then your foot just returns. It should naturally return from the push-off. So it's not like you're trying to make this circular motion, if anything that's going to be more of an ovoid. If you watch people who run really fast, their feet do move in this like beautiful, like slightly flattened circle. But that is because they're running so fast that that is just how the cycle occurs. Where if we're running slower, like in an ultra shuffle, you're not going to see nearly as much of that circular motion. It's going to be a lot more ovular. So we need to really focus on the pushback and then just like smoothly return the foot. You don't need to force it up to your butt unless you're happy putting it there. And then if we look at one of the other big things, we're talking about this with like being quiet, the main reason you're loud, if you're loud when you're running, is that you're having way too much up and down. We're not trying to oscillate up and down, we're trying to push forward. So if you are landing really loud or feeling a lot of pressure through your joints, you're probably bounding. And this is not the motion we want when we're running needs to be forward. There will be some up and down motion, but it should be as subtle as possible. We want to glide. You don't want to pound. I hear a whole lot of things about, you know, shoes fixing whatever your problem is, and there probably is a really good shoe for you, but much like your exact running form, it's going to vary. People who naturally land a little more midfoot probably going to do a little better with a zero drop, especially if you have a good amount of ankle flexion and your calves aren't really tight. Like for me, I need a bit of a drop or else my like Achilles goes nuts. It just hates it. Right? Like, and I could train that. I've tried forever (laughs) I'm barefoot all the time, other than when I'm running or at least in zero drop shoes. And yet it has never gotten there. So sometimes we need to work with what we have rather than what our some like magic ideal might be. So how do you know even where all of this stuff is? The answer is you need to probably videotape yourself and then look at it or have someone else look at it. Like I cannot fix running form that I can't see. It's not, it's not a possible thing anybody can do. If anybody tells you that they can fix your running form without seeing you run, they're lying to you. You need to video and or have someone there in person to watch you run, and see how it goes. Further, I think it's a big struggle if we're trying to necessarily like fix certain things of running form on a treadmill or on certain terrain. If you're a trail runner, it'd be really good to see what you run, like how you run uphill, how you run downhill, how you run on flat. All of these things are gonna be slightly different, and they might be off in different ways. If you're really scared of going downhill, you're very likely to put on the brakes and lean backwards and end up over leveraging that like heel strike and basically over striding. Whereas if you're not scared going downhill, like you might do really well, but your climb, like your quads just aren't that strong, so you have this big hinge forward at the hips and then your lower back hurts, you should look at that too. So if you're a trail runner, we should look at you on flats, ups, and downs and figure that out. Now, if we we're looking at even more basics, a treadmill is useful. Um, it can tell you basically where, where your foot strike is. It can tell you what your, what your lean is from your ankle. What it can't really tell you is that, that push back with your glute. Unless you're already very good at it, it is going to be a struggle to build that on a treadmill because it's just moving underneath you and you're trying to keep up. And to some degree, that's not quite the same motion. It is good enough. It absolutely counts. Like, I do not appreciate anybody who says treadmill running is not real running. I've heard that. I think it's garbage. But it is not the same. It is a different activity. It is a training tool. And if you are really struggling to find that backwards push, you're going to struggle. continue to struggle to do that on a device that is moving forward for you because you don't have to push it you just have to keep up with it so we could do that on a self-propelled treadmill like an assault runner something like that where you just push the belt clearly like you're pushing the belt so that can give you some of that um we can clearly obviously do it outside because that's how you run But doing it on a basic treadmill, if you're trying to find that push drive, is going to be a struggle. Now, what might be some signs that we're struggling? I mean, one would be, like, if you look at yourself and we're having these, like, shoulders rounded forward, this could be, like, an issue and we're probably going to lead to some back pain. There's probably going to be some of this, because, like, a lot of us are maybe here, right? Like, this is pretty reasonable. But here is going to lead to to problems, especially if you're carrying a pack like a trail runner. If we are like feeling some kind of numbness, you either have a neuroma, which, sorry, like they, they happen and we can make them better and do our best for them by like wearing like wide toe box shoes and all sorts of things, or you're landing really poorly. That was one of the signs for me about a year ago when I was first like first getting a few miles in. Like every time I went over two miles, my right foot went started to go numb, and that is because I was overstriding on the right landing on my heel and just pounding that nerve that was going through the bottom of my foot. So if you're starting to go numb, you either have something like a neuroma or you are like struggling with, uh, with overstriding. So those are, there's some other options, but those are really likely ones. Now, if we're getting into some of the more nitpicky things, um, this first one is nitpicky for road runners. It's not as nitpicky for for trails. So our gaze matters. If we're constantly down here, you're gonna force that rounded posture. If we're way up here, you're gonna like <laughs> have the exact opposite. Sally McRae likes to say um, "heart up" or like "heart up" running, and one that like is meant to induce positivity, but also gives you that like nice tall, proud posture. And your eyes should be out. Eh, I don't know, like 15 yards in front of you or something. It's kind of what I've heard. Now, depending on your terrain, you might need them basically at your feet. Like, if you're, if we're looking at something like the Hurt 100, that thing is nothing but roots and terribleness. Like, you probably need to keep an eye on your foot or you're going to sprain your ankle. All right, so this is very dependent on where you are. But having a having a gaze that is not shoving you into this posture your entire time, or at least when you're running on roads, is going to be really good for you. Now, The other thing that is kinda nitpicky, but kinda not, is your arm motion. I've had some conversations with people about this on the internet, and it's a little complicated. Matt Minard says, um, saw, don't chop, and this can get a little confusing depending on how much you understand biomechanics, so basically what that means is you're not trying to, like, drive your arms upwards, you're trying to have them rock forward and back. Now, depending on the build of your shoulders and clavicle and how much muscle you have and how much of that rounded, uh, it's called forward shoulder, how much of that forward shoulder you have, then we might end up with a slightly different sawing motion. Now, I'm going to step back so that people watching this can see me. But if we're trying to be here, sawing exactly like this. This is really awkward for me. Anybody who's not watching, like my arms are basically out. Um, And that is because my shoulder rounds forward a little bit from all the things I've done in my life. Now, here, if I'm running like this, my elbow is still going back and forth in a completely smooth motion. My hand is going, it's just not in the same, um, exactly in the same plane. So while it might look kind of like this, It is not the same. My arm is not, like, driving across my center line, throwing me way out of whack. My hand's just a little off from my elbow. Now, I will catch myself sometimes driving across that center line, and I need to recorrect, whatever, because when you, like, when you drive your hand way across your center line, it throws your hips out of balance, which throws you completely out of whack, and it can, like, really mess up your gait. So it does matter, but whether we're like this mild sawing motion like this, or this, or here, they've shown that as long as it's not leading to injuries, you could put your hand, they could tape your hands to the top of your head. And I think it only causes about a 10% decrease in performance. So if we're a little off on our arm motion and it's not causing big hip or torso abnormalities, it is low on the list of things you should adjust if your cadence is 140 and your arm motion's a little off fix the cadence first if you're like not pushing back and you're bounding up and down and all of these things are going on and you focus on fixing your sawing motion before all of that that is the wrong choice we need to fix like the big rocks first that are going to lead to problems beyond that like there is a personal difference that is going to come for each person so your skeleton is a little differently built than other people's skeletons. You'll hear a lot of people say your toes, your feet should be completely forward due north underneath your hips at all times. It's not how some people's skeletons are built, man. Like if we if we look here, like there can be a good like 10 to 15 degree outward turn in your feet and not because your hips are turned out, like not cuz we're duck-footed, it is because when your shin is forward, your feet are out a little bit. If that's the case we need to figure out how your running form might look a little different and your squat form and all of this stuff like how your bones pattern so we cannot say that there's this like perfect running form that everybody has to have but we can say that there's some basics which is like, lean forward it should be a controlled fall it should be hinging at the ankles not at the hips your cadence should be probably quick in the 180 range, give or take 10, um, your pelvis should stay level, it shouldn't. we shouldn't be rocking up and down. We should be pushing back with our glutes, and we should not be bounding up and down as we run. And we should not be overstriding. These are some basics that apply across the board. In the trail world. We have the distinct pleasure of basically doing six different sports (laughs) all in one because running flat is a little different than running uphill, is a little different than running downhill, and then walking on all three of those is also different. All of these things look a little different. If you plan to walk a bunch during your race or hike a bunch during your race, you should practice that because it's different than your running form. If you know that you have a lot of incline, we should, you know, if you don't have access to that, get on a treadmill crank that incline up and use that because it's a little different. But running, these basics are there. We don't want to overstride. We don't want to like load our tendons too much. And we're just trying to keep ourselves lot healthy in the long term. And if your running form has been working really well for you and you have no issues and you've never had an injury and there's never been a niggle and you never have a problem, then great. You probably don't need to do any of this stuff. But Typically, these things will add up over time. And if you are having any inkling that something is wrong, it is probably better to make slight adjustments now than it is to get forever down the line and then to put the, like a tendon problem. Now, if your race is next week, clearly don't do that. But think about this stuff in advance and start to make adjustments, especially in the off season. If you have any more questions on form, pop them in. I'm happy to try to answer what I can. For the most part, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. This is, again, hard to talk about because it is not a one-size-fits-all thing. But neither is nutrition, and I do that all the time. So I figured I'd at least make an effort because I do get a lot of questions about it. And if you want me to talk to you about running form, take a video of yourself from like the side and the back, preferably both sides and the back, and send it to me. I'm happy to give it a look. It doesn't take that long. Don't send me a 20-minute video, but send me something short, and I'll give it a look. And again, just a reminder that the Ultra Running Guys, Jeff and Jeremy and I, have partnered with The Feed to do this Let's Eat giveaway. So if you want to win up to $100 um, and a free race nutrition session with me and a nice Ultra Running Guys trucker hat, please enter. The link will be in the comments, in the show notes. It is willfrance.com slash nutrition dash giveaway. And we'd love to have you join us. Um, the more the merrier. The whole goal here was really to help people eat better on the trails. Because nutrition is responsible for at least partially of so many DNFs, like at least half. And they just it's not that it's the like, defining factor, but it is a big deal. When you have a mild injury and your gut feels bad, that is not a a great time to, like, allow you to push through it. So, I just want to help you eat a little better, feel a little better, hydrate a little better, so we can get the big rocks out of the way, like avoiding rhabdo, but also just have more fun, because bonking is not fun, and that's what we're trying to do, help you bonk less. So, if you have any questions about it, drop it in the comments. There will be a link there as soon as this properly uploads to the group. Thank you to everybody who watched this live and to anybody who's listening on replay. Thank you as well. If you would share this with somebody, I'd really appreciate it. Um, I do this so that we can change how people feel and whatnot and run and just have more fun. So share it with somebody who you think might need it. Hope you have a good rest of your evening. I'm going to edit a podcast and eat some pizza. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.